Welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims. So we should, you know, stand on those crossroads and look all around and exercise our options. Don't let anyone force us into something that is not well thought out and in our best interests. And we are so excited to have... Paul Struthers on again. Yeah, it's been a whole year, like amazing, right? Uh, he's the director of exhibition and programming, and uh, he's been with the organization for a whole year now. He's got an anniversary coming up, right? Like to the date almost, right? June 14th? Yeah, just, or I don't know. When did you start? Yeah. I started, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what year are we now? 2019? I think I started December. 2017, so a year and a okay, half. Okay, a year and yeah. a half. This nice, is my second nice. festival, yeah. Cool, cool. And um, so you, are over, you, have, you have been overseeing the curatorial vision and execution of frame lines globally, renowned exhibition programs, special events, um, the completion fund, and the signature San Francisco International Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Queer, or Questioning Film Festival. And, wow, it's frame line 43, and it kicks off on June 20th next week through the 30th. Like 10 days. You probably put all this into 10 days. I don't know how you all do that. So, um, and, and for those who didn't catch you last time we spoke, um, you um, are originally hailing from the United Kingdom where you received a Bachelor of Arts in, from the Royal Holloway University of London, and you have more than, well, 13 is not accurate anymore. Fifteen <laughs> uh, now, I'd say, more than 15 in. or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to change this bio on your website. <laughs> oh, yeah, I need to update and we, Yeah, and we were, like, talking last time about how you were the festival director of the Queer Screams Mardi Gras Film Festival. Uh, from 2014 to 2017, and the Queer Screen Film Fest from 2014 to 2016, where your vision led festival attendance to increase threefold and ushered in programming that explored a broader representation of queer lives. So talk about, gosh, it's been 
you say two, three years? Because um, this is, yeah, two years now. Um, third, is this your second or third festival? I, I, mean, I didn't get it. So I've been in America now for about just over a year and a half, and this is my second okay. uh, frame line, the San Francisco International LGBTQ Plus Film Festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so how how is it going? What do you have planned for us? Like, what's new? <laughs> well, this year there's, oh. there's so much. We have 174 films from 38 oh. countries. And a really fascinating stat is we have uh, 59 films that have never played in the USA before, which is like a really excellent figure. What's mm-hmm. new, uh, one thing that's really new, and I believe the first time that Frameline has entered into this world, is we actually have a day of VR at the D. Young Museum, which is a first, mm-hmm. which is free on the 29th of June, and we'll be showing a VR project called Authentically Us, which is basically Mm -hmm. free virtual reality episodes which cover the spectrum of the transgender experience. One highlights a portrait of a two-spirit artist and historian. Another highlights a proud veteran fighting for equality in Washington, D.C., and the final uh, part of the trailer is a down-to-earth mechanic in Musala. Yeah, that's something to see, basically, authentically mm-hmm. as VR free at the D. Young Museum on Saturday, June 29th. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah, cool. And what else do you have um, uh, planned this uh, this season? Oh, there's so much. I think uh, one... Well, there'll be more than one, but one I can highlight straight off that will be of interest to you and your audience is our centerpiece episodic. When we talk about episodic, we mean web series or TV series, anything that is uh, short in length but has follow-on episodes. Last year, our centerpiece episodic was Bonding, which is now the big hit on uh, Netflix. It came out around a month ago. And... This year, I'm happy to say our Centerpiece Episodic, which was screened at the Castro on June 27th at 6.45, mm-hmm. is an African-American series, and it's called A Love Tale, The Series, and it's set in Harlem, and it's a really high-end drama romance about four queer women of color navigating mm-hmm. life, love, and everything else in between. Some really great uh, acting and great uh, script. I think it's going to be one of the highlight screenings of the festival, and I can imagine a lot of the cast and crew are going to come out. So that's one to come out and support mm. at the Castro. I love Tale of the Series. Okay. Yeah, yeah, looking at that. Yeah, that looks really good. Looks really good. Hmm, okay. Um, how, what, what opens the festival and what closes the festival? So the opening night film of the festival is a film that I saw at the Toronto International Film Festival. One of the privileges of this job is that I get to go to Toronto, Sundance, and Berlin, and the odd other festival here on the June. And I saw Vita and Virginia, our opening night film, <laughs> June 20th, 7 p.m. 
the Castro at mm. Toronto last year. And mm. it's a film about one of the most famous lesbian love affairs of the 20th century between Virginia Woolf and Vita Sackwell West, played by Elizabeth Debicki and Gemma Arterton. It also features a star turn from Isabella Rossellini. Anyone who likes Downtown Abbey, The Crown, is going to love this film. The costumes are amazing. The soundtrack is excellent, and the acting is out of this world. It's just, I'm very proud to open the festival with a lesbian film. I think it's important to put lesbians uh, right front and center when it comes to queer programming. It's going to be an excellent night. Mm-hmm. Is that something that is not necessarily always the case, that, that um that lesbians are at the center of, of um, programming in these kind of festivals? I think if you look around the world historically, mm-hmm. most LGBTQ film festivals will open with a gay male film. Mm-hmm. However, I think it's important to open with a variety. Like last year we had a trans opening night film, this year a lesbian film. And also in my old job at Sydney at the Mardi Gras Film Festival, three out of four of my opening nights were lesbian films. And I think it's important mm-hmm. because the lesbian community can see what you're doing. They want to come out and they want to feel noticed. And in turn, it builds your trust with the lesbian community, which in turn builds the attendance by the lesbian community, you know. So I think it's an important mm-hmm. step for us all to take. You know, if you look at the LGBTQ plus scene, the majority is for gay men. We need to open up to others, lesbians, trans, non-binary, people of color, you know, and I think that's a joy of programming that you can expand it and push it out there so that those audiences see themselves represented and come out and celebrate their lives on screen, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I was looking looking through the really wonderful um, program guide, and you just have this really striking uh, image on the cover of the uh, program guide. Um, can you talk a little bit about the uh, the image, and also talk about for those who don't know Frame Line's history, maybe give us a little a little back background on Frame Line and how how the organization came to be and how it's been able to last 43 years, which is you know, uh, it's remarkable and it's wonderful. And and I was wondering, is Frame Line um, the longest film festival of its kind, in uh, in the United States or or even internationally? Yeah. So the artwork was actually uh, people from the community, locals, or people that worked at Frame Line, and the artwork is simple and it's saying come to the festival, you're going to see a variety of representation on screen. And that's why Mm -hmm. we went with this artwork with all different types of folks. Frameline started in 1977 in a small way, showing uh, films. And indeed, Frameline is the longest running LGBTQ plus film festival in the world. And at present, mm-hmm. we are the largest. So Frameline has 
quite the legacy. And I'm just super fortunate to be working for Framing. It's a great organization to work for. And every year we're growing, whether it be with completion funding, whether it be our encore series, whether it's our distribution arm. We just keep growing and growing and really trying to represent as many folks as possible in the community through our programming, you know? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Well, I'm going to just flip through where I have little um, markers here um, about some of the films. I, I noticed that uh, you have something with um, Judy uh, Garland. And I'm like, oh, Sid and Judy. Oh, yeah. Um, you want to talk about that? <laughs> yeah, so Sid and Judy is actually a film from Showtime, and I'm super excited that it's our centerpiece documentary, and it's going to be a world premiere, which is mm. amazing. It basically, if you've seen the documentary, Amy, or the film we showed last year, McQueen, about Alexander McQueen, it's, ba- mm-hmm. it's made up of archive interviews, archive footage, and it really traces Judy Garland's life throughout, and we just meet an extraordinary character, extremely talented, and some of the footage, some of the singing, some of her TV shows, it's just footage I've never seen before, and I can just see when this screens with the Castro, I think people are going to be moved, people are going to be singing, it's going to be another festival experience that people will not forget because, yeah, there's nothing like screening a world premiere at the Castro, you know? Right, right, yeah, it's a beautiful house. And uh, the Frameline Award goes to Rodney Evans, um, and as long as you can talk about the Frameline Award, Rodney Evans, you will probably remember Brother to Brother, which is going to be screening on Wednesday the 26th, one fifteen at the Castro, um, and then there's another Vision Portraits, uh, Wednesday, June 26th, 4 p.m. at the Castro. So tell us about uh, the Frameline Award and Rodney Evans. So the Frameline Award really celebrates uh, someone in LGBTQ plus media, film, who is really making a difference, pushing the boundaries. In the past, there was gone to people like uh, George Takei, Alan Cumming, Margaret Cho. And this year, we decided Rodney Evans was perfect. His first uh, feature, Brother to Brother, won at uh, Sundance several years ago and also won an award at Frameline. Then his second feature, The Happy Sad, played at Frameline Mm -hmm. several years ago. And his third feature, which had its world premiere at South by Southwest, and we also gave the film completion funding, really shows a resilient filmmaker. The film Vision Portraits is about artists who are blind or visually impaired and actually Rodney Evans himself is going blind so he is one of the characters it highlights yeah highlights the strength yeah highlights the strength of the artist in the face of something difficult like going blind or becoming visually impaired and how they Mm. navigate through that and continue to create work they want to create and the whole over of his collection of films, it just made sense for this year to award Rodney Evans a Frameline Award, and he'll be coming to the festival as well 
to accept the award, oh, which nice. is going to be a great, great, great afternoon indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and um, at the uh, awards, uh, doesn't the awardee sit down and and talk? Do you all like have a conversation or something? Yes, so there'll be uh, an introduction with uh, some uh, text about why we're giving him the award, and then following the screening of vision portraits, because the award will present, be presented before. Following the screening mm-hmm. of vision portraits, there'll be a Q&A with, I think it's nice. me and Rodney from memory. <laughs> oh, cool. Oh, super. Great. <laughs> oh, that'll be awesome. That'll be awesome. And and as I'm flipping, I'm looking at the film BIT, B-I-T, which is um, on Saturday, June 22nd, 9.30 p.m. at the Castro. Coming oh, yeah, BIT. BIT. Yeah, this is another really wonderful film, and I'm so pleased it's screening late night at the Castro on the first Saturday, June 22nd, 9.30 p.m. <laughs> it's it's going to be a U.S. premiere, and mm-hmm. we're just so pleased to see a trans actor playing a trans role, Nicole Maines from Supergirl. It's very mm-hmm. rare for trans uh characters to be the lead, so this is good, especially in a genre film. So basically Mm -hmm. her character goes on a holiday to L.A., and she bumps into a group of young, funky, hip, queer sort of feminists. However, she turns out, Mm -hmm. it turns out they're vampires. Oh. Oh. Yes, she's a vampire. That's what the picture looks like it looks. (laughs) Yeah. Oh. Then she falls in love with one of them. And then all hell mm-hmm. breaks out. They try to rid LA of predatory men, whilst at the same time they're trying to stave off uh, vampire hunters. It's just a fun film. <laughs> Nicole, the lead actor, she's going to be here. I think it's going to be another mm-hmm. really excellent screening. Oh, that's so funny. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's funny. And um, and then I was see. I looked. Um, there was a film that's going to be uh, at the screening at the De Young. Uh, it's called uh, Authentically, or the program is called Authentically Us. And that's uh, Saturday, June 29th, 10.30 to 4 p.m. And they're a series of three films. Um, tell us about that program. Oh, yes, that was the one I mentioned at the beginning. Oh, the early. VR oh, okay. Of it, yeah, Authentically okay. Us, the three-part mm-hmm. uh, virtual reality episode. Yeah. It's a must-be, oh, okay. and it's free. Completely free, mm-hmm. yeah. Nice, nice, yeah. And then um, tell us about, I know there's always musicals, and I was looking at Kinky Boots, the musical. Um, is this the musical presentation for this festival? Because I know there's always a, there are always musicals in each festival. Is this that one? It is. So this is HD <laughs> Cinema Live Captured Performance from London, and it's the mm. world, world premiere. And... Mm. With a book by Harvey Feinstein, an original song by Cindy Lauper, people again are going to be singing in the aisles. It's 4 p.m. on uh, June 22nd at the Castro, and I think it's just mm-hmm. going to be a lot of fun to be had. Anyone who loves musicals, who loves kinky boots, it's a must. See, so come, come on down to the Castro for a good old sing along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And um, I stopped at um, Knives and Skin. 
What's that about? That's uh, Monday, June 24th, 9.15 at the Roxy, and Tuesday, June 25th, 7 p.m. at the Shattuck. The Shattuck? In so Berkeley? Nice that's yeah, we're, Shattuck, like yeah, Shattuck? We're <laughs> oh. Yeah, we're shooting at the Shattuck this year. Oh. Which is handy is because it's new? so close to... Yes, yeah, new. It's so close to the bar, so it's just super accessible, yes, you know? Mm-hmm. Nice and Skin. Oh. Yeah. Nice and Skin is a film I really love because it really plays mm-hmm. with genre. It actually has a musical element in it, which if you see it, mm-hmm. uh, you'll see what I mean. It played at okay. uh, the Berlin Film Festival this year and also the Tribeca mm-hmm. Film Festival. And it's about a group of young people at high school who are trying to solve the mystery as to how and why did their friend disappear. I don't want to say too much mm. more because it will give away the plot, but it's just one of those films you have to see on the big screen. The director is coming. Hopefully some of the mm. cast will come. It's a really diverse cast, lots of people of color, lots of queer folks, and it's just a fun film that I think young and old will like simultaneously, mm-hmm. you know, which is always fun. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell us about St. Francis uh, screening on Wednesday, June 26, 6.30 at the Victoria. St. Francis is a film that played at uh, the South by Southwest Festival. It had its world premiere there, and it won an audience award there for a narrative feature mm-hmm. competition. It's about a young mm-hmm. woman, Bridget, who is a bit stuck in life, but then ends up becoming a nanny for this six-year-old little girl called Frances, whose parents mm-hmm. are lesbians. And we just see a loving re- relationship build between the nanny and the little girl. But also at the same time, Bridget enters the world of the lesbian couple and ups and downs happens, but friendships are made. It's just a nice way to really celebrate that families are all different and families are all the same. <laughs> really. It's a lovely <laughs> film. It's a lovely, lovely film. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and I see that um, you're going to be um, screening Marlon Riggs' No Regrets on Thursday, June 27, 11 a.m. Castro, along with, um, these are in the shorts programs, uh, along with, um, let's see, um, three other films. Um, so talk about, um, you know, bringing back, you know, No Regrets, uh, Marlon Riggs' uh, classic. So uh, Frameline distributes uh, Tongues on Tide, and mm-hmm. Tongues on Tide came out 30 years ago, and also this year yeah. is 25 years since his passing, oh. and lots of mm-hmm. organizations around the world, from BAM to the BFI, are doing something to celebrate him and his work. So we decided mm. we would screen these three shorter films along with a 10-minute interview from KQED. We're going to have some special, oh. uh, yeah, we're going to have some special mm-hmm. programming before, perhaps a poem uh, read out mm-hmm. by someone who actually knew uh, Marlon Riggs. It's just, yeah, mm-hmm. we just want to celebrate his life and work. And the films we're showing, they are pretty rare. So come out for that for sure. And there'll be a Q&A afterwards okay. as well. 
Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, I, I don't know if I know anthem, um, and then there's affirmations um, you already mentioned. Do you know how to pronounce the French for no regret? Let me see. No, je ne regret rien. <laughs> oh, you no, got it. No, je ne regret rien. Because uh, I'm from Scotland, so we used to go mm-hmm. to France a lot as kids. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> and then the other yeah. is the creative mind excerpts. Oh, cool, cool. And then um, another another short that's um, on this page, um, on page 98 folks that are following along, Homegrown, you want to mark your book, on, ta- on Sunday, uh, June 23rd, 9.30 p.m. at the Victoria. Um, tell us about that program, Homegrown. So Homegrown is a program that's been running for years, and it's uh, short films made by locals about locals. Oh. Yeah, for example, cool. Origin is about a young woman in Oakland. Uh, Trans 128 is about uh, a young DJ. Eat the Rainbow is a fantastical comedy. Nice Chinese Girls Don't is about a well-known lesbian poet. And Vetosphere is about Vetosphere, the famed uh, sort of art performer drag queen. It's just a real celebration mm-hmm. of local talent and all mm-hmm. the filmmakers usually turn out so there'll be excellent Q and A's and yeah, a real celebration. Oh cool, cool. Wow, wow. Um I think I, I well, you touched on all of the ones I had marked. Um the last one I had was Realness and Revelations all in also in the sec in the shorts programming uh Friday, June twenty first, seven PM at the Roxy and Wednesday, June twenty sixth, seven PM at the Shadow. But I wanted to give you um, time uh, to talk about um, special programming. Um, are there any panels um, around making films or directors talking about their process? Do um, you have any any special program that, that people need to know about that they also put in their book, <laughs> their calendar, so they don't miss it? So we've got two panels this year. One is okay. centered around a documentary called Queering the Script, which really looks at uh, mm. queer representation on TV and how mm-hmm. in like 2015-16, a lot of lesbian lead characters were killed off. And this started a backlash from what they call the fandom. And it's looking at mm-hmm. the fans of TV shows and films and how they can change the the story because they're tired of being killed off basically and that panel mm-hmm. is going to be great we have Angelica Ross who is in Pose she's coming and various other folks from the director, the producer and a journalist from IndieWire I, th- I know mm-hmm. that's going to be a great panel another one we have is Troubled uh, Sanctuary where, where is the, when is, where is the panel um, and what time? Oh, so Queer That Script, the panel I just spoke about, is on Saturday, June 22nd at 5.30pm okay. and is at the Victoria. Okay. Yeah. And then okay, cool. another panel okay. we have on Saturday, June 24th at 2.30pm. It's after the film Unsettled, Seeking Refuge. And it's basically a documentary about four people from Angola, Congo, and Syria, mm-hmm. who have come mm-hmm. to America 
to seek refuge. The film is called Unsettled, Seeking Refuge in America. Mm. And the panel mm-hmm. is Troubled Sanctuary, LGBTQ plus refugees, asylum seekers, and immigrants in the U.S. And all the subjects mm-hmm. from the film will be there. And it's just going to be talking about their experiences and how the film has changed their life because all four of them came to the Bay Area to seek refuge and asylum. Mm -hmm. I think people are going to be moved to tears when they hear their stories, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I had those on Mark. I'm glad glad, um, uh, I went back and looked. Yeah, and and then this one here, it looks like some people have been actually um, incarcerated because they have on the um, the orange um, jumpers. Oh, yes. So that's the mm-hmm. film, uh, The Infiltrators, and one mm-hmm. of the subjects from that will be on the panel. So The Infiltrators mm-hmm. really looks at a young group of people who started an organization trying to save uh, undocumented folks who are being held in holding centers before they're sent back. They are such wonderful people. They actually go up to the holding centers and get themselves arrested so they can actually mm-hmm. help these people from within. Have you ever heard anything like that? Like really putting yourself mm-hmm. on the line. It's a wonderful documentary right. that played at Sundance this year. Really wonderful, really special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like um, a film um, that you all screened um, uh, by uh, the director. I think San Francisco, the city of San Francisco, um, is honoring her this year um she did um watermelon woman but in one of her films um this uh, young woman had herself arrested and arrested and arrested until she could get into the prison where her mother was or that she thought her mother was you know you know who i'm speaking of yeah cheryl Donahue, yeah yes yeah, yeah exactly the director yeah right yeah. right Great director. Yeah. yeah it sounds like, wow wow but as an organizing um you know, strategy. Wow, that's amazing. That's going to be a really interesting panel. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Well, it's really, really great to catch up with you, um, Paul um, Struthers, Director of Exhibitions and Programming at Frameline. Congratulations on your tenure. And um, and could you let folks know um, how to get tickets? Give them the website. And um, yeah, and so. Um, you're at the Roxy, you're at the Castro, you're at the Victoria, you're at the Shattuck in Berkeley. Any other places? Oh, and then you have we're the De Young Museum and where else? <laughs> and the Piedmont as well. Oh, the, the Piedmont, Piedmont in, in, in Oakland. Oakland. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. And so the festival is on June 20 to 30th. And to find out about all the films and buy tickets, it's frameline.org. And I hope to see you. At the festival, it's worth coming because not only do we screen films, the majority of the films will have an actor and or director present, so there'll be intros and Q&As following the screenings. Thanks for having me today. Oh, you're quite welcome. Look forward to seeing you in the theater this time. (laughs) Okay, cool. Have a great day. Peace and blessings. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Ah, good morning, Cornelius. How are you? Good morning, Wanda. I'm fine. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. It's 
I haven't talked to you on the air in a long time, so I'm really excited, you know, to be chatting with you. Uh, Cornelius Moore, uh, co-director of California Newsreel, um, and uh, yeah, um, and you are a Philadelphia native, is that correct, or a D.C. native? I'm trying to remember. Well, you know, I mean, I, I lived in Philly for years. I, I grew up in Chester, Pennsylvania, which is outside okay. of uh, Philly, but, uh, but, you know. It's the same area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was trying to find a I was trying to find a bio and I couldn't find one. Um so tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and, and the organization California Newsreel and uh and California Newsreel's relationship with the Museum of the African Diaspora and you have curated yet another phenomenal series of films to um I guess to, to highlight and um and celebrate the uh the art and the current programming um, there at Moad. Um, <laughs> I cannot see. Right. Well, it's, not... it's this. Um, this. What I normally do um, is mm-hmm. with um, the Museum of the African Diaspora. Is they when they'll have an exhibit. They um, the program director Elizabeth Gessel, who um, I work very well with, and I'm glad to. She always um, asked me to. To put together a series that complements mm-hmm. an exhibit, and this time there is a an, a, an exhibit by um, um, Caribbean artists. It's called mm-hmm. Coffee Rum. Sorry, Rome Rum. That tells you that I don't drink rum. Coffee Rum, <laughs> sugar, sugar and gold, <laughs> a, a post-colonial paradox. So in it, so. So I um, organized a, a film series to of uh, films from and about the Caribbean and Caribbean di- directors and, and the like. So um, that's what it is. It's and the, the series is called Caribbean in Motion, and beginning mm-hmm. the ju- July 10th through August 7th on consecutive Wednesday evenings. Right. So my yeah. rela- but, but you asked me about the relationship with California California Newsreel. We're a film distributor and producer and I've been there since 1981 coming from Philadelphia. Oh, really? But um oh. yeah. mm-hmm. And how how old is yeah. California Israel like was it I mean it was there when you came here in 1981. Yeah, it was but, there we we're like how, 51 years old. What? Oh my god. Yeah, Cuz you yeah. all have the largest distribution of African diaspora films in the world, right? Well, the, the African, um, we have a huge collection of films from by African directors. I mean, the the, mm-hmm. the history of newsreel is one that, uh, institution that came out of the '60s. So there's films about the mm-hmm. the anti-Vietnam War protests, the Black Panther Party, mm-hmm. the Young Lords Party, mm-hmm. um, films on you know social issues, and then films about the U.S. economy, make, trying to make that more d- democratic. Films on African American history and uh, culture, films on uh, health and society, and a collection, like I say, of films of African, um, by African directors, the Library of African Cinema. So I, mm-hmm. so I come to doing this, being a curator at the Museum of the African Diaspora as a film creator, just because I see a lot of movies, and you know, right. be, because of being a distributor, and and you know, California, we we only get small amount of the films that I see. So I have all this bank of information of films that mm. I, I think really need to be 
seen and and um so that's I'm, i feel like really blessed that i can use that expertise and and uh, organize film programs and doing mm-hmm. it at the museum Right, yeah, this exhibit is, is really phenomenal, um, and folks need to make sure they don't miss it. It's up through August 11th, and there are a lot of companion programs, but just all of these wonderful um, artists, you know, from the Caribbean, um, mm-hmm. there are 10 of them. And right, they're, they're from, from really uh, yeah, I, I'm, it's not my, you probably have more to say about the art than, I mean, I, I've seen the, the exhibit, and, and uh you know, well, they we were make Yeah, and you and you knew you knew you know the Haiti. you know the curator. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, we met right there at the um mm-hmm. the uh, opening reception. So the the idea behind doing the film series, you know, first when I started it, I thought, well, should the film how much should the films correspond to the the artwork and where the artists are from? So the artists from Jamaica, Puerto Rico, Haiti. Dominican Republic and the Bahamas, and so that's how I first started. I said, well, we have to have film from those places, but um, mm-hmm. some, you know, it didn't necessarily work out that way. So we, so the film series has films from Trinidad, Trinidad and and uh, Martinique and, and and Jamaica and Curacao and Puerto Rico. Um, mm-hmm. So. Um, and which you know, so that's a, a breadth of the Caribbean. The Caribbean is so huge, um, and, and this, it's huge in, in, in as far as geography, but also the, diff- the cultures there, the history there, um, so so many different and languages. And so, it, 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 I really wanted to um, represent um, as much as possible, you know, the different. Um, histories and cultures there. Um mm-hmm. yeah. and so the 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 opening film I'm really really glad we were able to get that cuz I saw that last year at mm-hmm. the film festival in Toronto, the Caribbean mm-hmm. Tales Festival. And oh. um so it's at it's it happens at the beginning of September at the, around the same time as the Toronto International Film Festival and the Caribbean Tales um, the festival and organization they do a lot to develop the film and, and television industry in the Caribbean by the festival, but also they have a, a session which works with people who are trying to um, gain support for their their projects. And it, it's the brainchild of the, um, Francis uh, Ann Solomon, who is originally from the Caribbean, but also worked in television in the UK and and um also based in Canada and the film that we're um the Caribbean Emotion film series is beginning with is her film called Hero. Um mm-hmm. Hero um inspired by the extraordinary life and times of Mr. Ulrich Cross. And I I I I thought the film was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And it was a mixture of documentary and uh, narrative about somebody I had never heard of, and I thought I knew mm-hmm. a lot. <laughs> you know, somebody who mm-hmm. overcross with someone who was originally from Trinidad, who um, goes to England to study to be a lawyer, and and then gets um, connected with great figures like um, 
George Padmore and Amy Ashwood Garvey and C.R.L.R. James to and becomes a pan he becomes a pan Africanist and wow. gets invited by Kwame Nkrumah after Ghana becomes independent to um, to work with the new government because Kwame Nkrumah was reaching out to people on the African continent and people of African descent to say you know we have a, we have a new independent country. Um, we've got thrown off British colonialism. We need your help and your expertise, and you've been educated, and so come help us. So Elva Cross becomes the Attorney General in Ghana and works there oh. for many years. Yeah, so that that's the amazing thing that you know this is a, mm-hmm. a really Pan African um, story. Um, so I, I think people would need to know that. I mean, just because the connections between African peoples all over the world. And Cross actually even goes to he goes to Cameroon. He goes ultimately he goes to Tanzania too to work there before going back to um, to Trinidad. Mm-hmm. Amazing story. That's an amazing story. Yeah, it sounds really great. That's a great way to kick off the uh, um, the series as well. Yes. So that's July 10th, Wednesday, July 10th. Um, mm-hmm. So I just keep just go and tell some yeah, of the other. Yeah. Tell us. Um, yeah, tell us what else you have. On, and on, how long is the series? Uh, how, uh, it goes how many, how many weeks July 10th. It's five mm-hmm. weeks from July 10th okay. to consecutive Wednesdays to uh, mm-hmm. August 7th, and it's every it's at six. They begin at 6:30 at the Museum of the African Diaspora, which is 60, 685 Mission Street. It's third in Mission, right. and the, I'll give the website is M O A D. SF.org, so that's moadsf.org for more information. Yeah, and um, and the um, and the film screenings are up. Like for instance, after you pay your admission, then the screenings are free. Is that how it works? That's how it well, works. Yeah, and if you're a member okay. of Moad, you just do get to go in for, to see the exhibit and the film for the price of your membership. Cool. Um, so that's. Yeah, that is really good. Um, there's a lot going on at Moad. In addition to this exhibit, there are other local artists who are highlighted and showcased too. The yeah. um, the second film is on the 17th, which is co-sponsored by the La Maison Noire Américaine, an organization mm-hmm. um, by two Black American women, Robin Bates and Connie Constant Connie Bryan, to um, you know, which is about um, Looking at the connection between the French language and French culture and, and Black Americans, so mm. and, and Black people in general, so um, they're a really fascinating group, and they're helping to promote the the film on the 17th called Jocelyn Berard at Heart, and Jocelyn Berard is the uh, only female member of the iconic um, um, group from Martinique. That plays um, the the music um, from the French Antilles, Zouk music. I don't know if people have heard of that, um, but they should, because it's a great mm-hmm. music to um, um, to dance to and listen to, and they sing in Creole. So uh, Jocelyn Berard is a kind of it's a portrait of her, and um, how she came to be a singer, and and how um, you know the the, the music um, gives gives presents and gives value and, and, and celebrates 
Creole culture and from the French Antilles, so they sing in Creole, and they the, the music is loved in in the Caribbean. It's loved in in the, they, it shows you with them performing in France and Africa because it has a really big following in in Africa too. So um, that's a that's a fun. That's you know, I always want to try to put a, mo- a movie in that has music in it because you know just to get okay. the diversity diversify. But um, mm-hmm. and Josephine Berard is you know very uh, a, a great um, interview and you know, all the people who talk about how important the music is and how sh- important she is. So then on the twenty fourth is a film called Double Play. Um, mm-hmm. which is a film that's set in Curaçao, which was formerly a, a Dutch colony. And um, the the, um, the producer who the film is going to be there, um, Lisa Cortez, oh. who oh, nice. is, she, Lisa is, she, she's worked with, um, with uh, a lot of filmmakers as a producer, and she just recently um, produced a film on the Apollo Theater in New York. Um, but the du- director of this film is Ernest Dickerson, who mm-hmm. was who first became you know a cinematographer and went to school with Spike Lee and and um, and also Felix, uh, Kurosawa filmmaker Felix Ferrari. So Ernest Dickerson talks about how he really wanted to return to to Kurosawa to make a film about the because um, he had such a really good time there, and there was a. Um, he got he got offered this um, to direct this, and he you know jumped at the chance. So the interesting thing about this film is that it's it's, it's a pan Caribbean. It's adopted from a a novel by a um, Curacao um, um, author, and it has an international cast. It's Louis Gossett Jr. is in it. Um, oh wow. Um, yeah, so it just has really a great, and it's very colorful. It's very um, Curacao. It made me, it made me want to go to Curacao. I've never been there. Very colorful, beautiful oh. island, and it's you know it, the, the characters are you know people come from different parts in the Caribbean. Because I think at one point it, there was some um, some wealth there. I mean, the people came from other islands to work. Um, so it looks at the, the time in the 70s when there was a lot of um, activity, anti-colonial activity um, in mm-hmm. in uh, Curacao. So um, so there, the, the, I re- really recommend that film, and you know you can hear from uh, Lisa with the work that she's doing. Uh, well, on is, is this the only film? Wait a second, Cornelia. Is, is this the um, mm-hmm. only film so far that the director is going to be present? Because um, I, I don't remember hearing it for the other two. Uh-huh. No, okay. no, they're okay. not the director. No. And actually, she's not. She's she's a producer. So um, producer, at least okay. Producer of the film, but there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it, that indeed the. You're right. They asked that question. You know, most of the film. None of the other um, people associated with the films at this point are going to be there, mm-hmm. um, but the but most of the films are Bay Area premieres. Um, mm-hmm. For example, Double Play, mm-hmm. which I just talked about, is a Bay Area right. premiere. So I think it's only shown in in in, in um, 
at a film festival in, in, in Holland and in New York, and I'm not sure where else it's played. The Jocelyn Berard is a U.S. The one um, on the, the 17th is a U.S. premiere. Because mm-hmm. it just, right. it, it, up to this point, it was only in French and now has English subtitles. Um, okay. And so, yeah, most most of the films are um, Bay Area premieres. The the um, the the film on the the July thirty first, Life and Debt is an older film about um, you know how the yeah I know that one it's a doc <laughs> you know right a documentary about how the international financial institutions if you want to call them that or vultures maybe better are um, mm-hmm. you know how to take advantage of um, finances of countries in the global south and this looks particularly at how it at how that impacted the economy of Jamaica and Jim, the and the writer Jamaica Kincaid wrote the narrative to that so and this red this kind of ironic narrative about um how to how to how um Jamaica looked uh, looked on as a as a a um tourist destination but more that there's much 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 more going on there so I thought that this film was very important to put in there because, you know, it, it directly talks about colonialism. The other films do, I mean, more in one way or another, reference the, the whole um, the issue of colonialism and the legacy of colonialism in the Caribbean. Um, and, even, you know, just to say, even though the colonial powers aren't formally in control, they still um, um, are... Are having an influence on what happens in this, the, the countries in the, in the region, and we in the the and the, uh, actually global exchange by the way is um, co- uh, co-sponsoring that the organization that okay. you know, works on the issues of you know um, economic e- equity, um, and the final um, film on August seventh is Moving yeah. in Place, and it's a film about Puerto Rico. Which is a, more of a classical colony. I mean, that's, the U.S. would dispute that, but most much of the world knows that the U.S. holds Puerto Rico as a colony, and um, so it's it's really looking at um, portraits portraits of young people who are millennials who are confronted with whether to stay on the island, even though they they really love the island and it's their, you know they grow up there and. But there, there are so many challenges. Economy is bad, partly because of the the debt that's um, that that the country is um, burdened with, and the the um, the the entity that's that was instituted with not without any um, um, participation from people on on the island. That you know is managing this debt, which which also means when when it manages the debt, it means that they try to privatize things and and you know power systems and and, and education and uh, institute austerity, which makes makes people's lives harder. So there's that aspect. Then people had to deal with the aftermath of Hurricane Maria. So where which it made the situation even worse. So people are. Um, these the people in the film, and they're all you know in their 30s or so, try to figure out how they can stay on the island or if they need to leave um, to develop their 
their their um, their careers or how to find uh, jobs where they can survive on. So it, I mean, I think it it pre- presents a, a view of Puerto Rico which we don't really really hear so much about, um, mm-hmm. and and the challenges facing the people there. I mean, a lot of people left Puerto Rico um, because of those challenges. So, and the film kind of deals with those those issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good because, um, um, yeah, I always wonder how how things are going um, in Puerto Rico. You know, since the um, the hurricanes, which you know mm-hmm. really had a devastating uh, impact on on the people, you know, and the environment mm-hmm. there, and and in this country, you know, sort of like the 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 guardian of of this nation that you know people can't vote, <laughs> um, right. but they pay taxes and they can get social security, but they can't vote and they're not there. They're right. not sovereign. Um, right. And we didn't help them as a nation. I'm like, whoa, you know? Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Really, really great. Um, great, um, great films, you know, as a part of this, this, Thank um, you. uh, this the series that you put together and, and the first one, I mean, it just looks really, really awesome. Um, and and I like it that you know there's you know um, you know there's like a wide variety of the kinds of films that you have um, you know in the series you know you've got music <laughs> you've got history um, you got a little pathos and like you got mm-hmm. the activism <laughs> the politics because you know the politics you know wherever black people are in the world. Um, and the Caribbean yeah. nation, you know, there's just so many islands there, you know, big ones and smaller mm-hmm. ones, and the history is just so complex, but it's all about colonialism and, and, yeah, and, and I slavery. The legacy of all those things. And I did, mm-hmm. the, the, the opening film, The Hero, I didn't realize, I mean, I knew about, I guess I, I mean I knew about the the role of Caribbean people in Pan Africanism, you know, of course of Marcus Garvey being from Jamaica. Right. But then I was mm-hmm. like, well, the and these all the all these Trinidadians like C.L.R. James and George Padmore, and I didn't really, I mean, I, I knew about maybe the ideas of philosophy. I didn't know about it in practice, you know, mm-hmm. and because it was it was those figures who encouraged people like Over Cross to go to. To, to Africa and you know to the newly independent countries and to to use their expertise to help build those societies and that's you know th- so that's about making it trying to make it real and concrete mm-hmm. um right and because we i think we and and you know maybe speaking as a black american you know you know our our um impact on the world is big um, but we need to also recognize and share that it's you know other people of African descent in the Americas had an impact too in the world, you know, um, and you know, oh, they, yeah, they may not yeah. be as wealthy, you know, or I mean you know the, or the mm-hmm. potential wealth. They don't have the they don't have the, the handful of um, wealthy people that you know Black Americans have, but you know the, that's still that that they haven't they other folk have an impact. An influence in the world and played that. Um, so that was, I mean, that was it was kind of humbling to when I saw that movie and and even like some of the the actors who were in it, 
who are. I said, oh, well, you know, they're from the Caribbean. And they, you know, they, we, there was the guy who was, uh, I don't know, but if you watch the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Um, oh, yeah, you can watch Fresh Prince. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and there was a guy who played the, the butler in that. Who? Mm, yeah, I, yes, I, I do remember right. him. Really dignified, yeah, and he, man. Yeah, very dignified. And he's, you know, that's what the role he would, could play there. And in this movie, he gets to be C.R.L.R. James. That's you know, so that was one of the things. Oh, yes. wow, nice. I never saw him anything, you know, where he was able to, to you know, show his own autonomy. It's almost like that yes. movie Drive, Driving Miss Daisy and to have that particular character show up some, in another role, you know, completely mm. right. different. Oh, that's right. great. So okay. that's, I mean, yeah. so that's one of the pluses of being able to do these, if you have uh, directors and stories, these sto- these kind of stories that, it's it's all the creative forces. It's the people who are the directors, the producers, mm-hmm. the um, the costume designers, and the actors that they can do. They yeah. don't they don't have to play a, a waiter or a butler. They can play, mm-hmm. um, you know, or or you know, a gangster. They can play mm-hmm. somebody a statesman. They can play a, a lawyer. You know, yeah. you know, all those. So. Yeah, I just found him. His name is uh, Joseph um, Marcel, and uh, his birthday actually is August 14th, and he's a British actor and comedian, best known Mm. for his role as, as, uh, uh, is it Godfrey or Jeffrey Butler um, uh, from Fresh Air? And he Uh, uh, he was uh, in that role for six years until um, it ended. Oh, wow, that's going to be great. I don't think I've ever seen him in anything else. (laughs) Oh, that should be cool. Oh, that should be really cool. Oh, super. Um, so in closing, I just wanted to ask you, just sort of did, did California Newsreel, did it bring you um, from the East Coast, you know, to to the Bay Area? Did you come here because of Newsreel? Like, did they recruit you or did you, you know, um, apply for a position and, and you kind know, of. been there ever since? <laughs> <laughs> kind of. It's an interesting story that, you know, I did come out because I – when I did in Philadelphia, we were we uh, with a group called the Na- Neighborhood Film Project, and we rented films and organized film programs. And so I would get films from California Newsreel, particularly their films on apartheid. It was because it was a, a project called oh. the Southern African Media, Media Center, and so mm-hmm. so I also was an anti-apartheid activist in Philadelphia. So mm-hmm. we were, you know, we would talk, and they want somebody to do to to be the person who directed that project and so I when I came out to California on you know when I left Philly you know we did talk about me doing that and they needed somebody really at that time this is 1981 to, to do the Southern Africa project but also the California Newsreel was doing a a film pro- documentary on Reaganomics and that quote unquote supply side economics, which ultimately became the business of America. So they needed somebody to be both the Southern African Media Center and then also staff the office and do the shipping and answer the phones while they went off and made the movie. So that's that's <laughs> that's how it that's how it happened. It was it, it was it was yeah. It, it ultimately that's what happened. Yeah, you know that, that's mm-hmm. how I started working in California Israel. So yeah. people tend to and- get there and stay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, you are just perfect. Um, I mean, I see you introducing films in all of our Bay Area film festivals because you are the expert. I mean, you travel uh, specifically, you know, looking at African directors, African diaspora directors, and and the catalog is is really, really awesome. 
and and like you said, you know, you can't put all the films that you see, you know, in the catalog. So it's really great, um, you know, that institutions like MOAD um, and others mm-hmm. here in the Bay Area, you know, also have you, um, you know, participate. I know um, um, in the East Bay, um, BAM PFA, you know, has you, um, you know, also as a consultant sometimes, and I know you're introducing mm-hmm. films, you know, at their African cinema series, you know, that's mm-hmm. um, curated by um, – uh, the uh, African the African Film, film Festival in New, in New York yeah, yeah they, in, they the, in, the, in New York right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I don't know are you introducing any films at uh, Frameline um, like for instance they're doing a retrospective of um, of uh, Marlon Riggs um, shorts are you going to be one of those people because you knew Marlon <laughs> uh, I don't know I don't know I mean I put it on my calendar to go there you know but um, mm-hmm. When uh, they do show the movie, yet yeah, I'm glad you mentioned mm-hmm. that because 2000 this year is the 30th anniversary of Tongues Untied, uh, Marlon's mm-hmm. work on Black Gay Life, and then also it's the 25th anniversary of his death. So they're right. their programs all over the country to to commemorate those things and and Marlon and I actually have been talking about some people in Brazil who have this Black Film Festival there who want to do something. So. So nice. th- that yeah so yeah mm-hmm. so again yeah. international we're all international mm-hmm. right right is Frameline the only um, uh, festival so far that's doing something to honor um, Marlon Riggs' um, uh, 25th anniversary of his passing and the 30th anniversary of Tongues Untied that you know of well, there was stuff been done in New York a big thing done in in New York in February at the Brooklyn Academy of Music the BAM Cinematheque they did a retrospective mm-hmm. of his work, but also work that was influenced by Marlon that they presented. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and then there was a place, uh, I, you know, I, I haven't, I'm not all on top of it because Frameline's doing most of it because of Tongues Untied, but there have been things in D.C. I think there's going to be something in D.C. this month um, at the um, a- a- American Film Institute um, Theater mm-hmm. during their documentary festival. Stuff in in um, in Atlanta, um, all over. Yeah, I, I try to keep it on my website. You know, the California News mm-hmm. website, because we have a page dedicated to Marlon Riggs, and I'm a little behind. But um, you know, as much as possible, I try to I'll try to announce those things. So it's all okay. yeah, all around the country. Yeah. Mhm. Awesome. Awesome. And are you a direct? Are you a director yourself? I mean, because you know you love film. No. <laughs> I I know what my my talents and strengths are and then what I learned from doing being showing films in Philadelphia um that people doing independent films often would you know I'd see them and say well, so what are you up to and they say well I'm working on this movie and 2 years later what are you up to and they're still working on the same movie trying to raise money for it cuz it's hard so um there's a lot of work going into trying to raise money and develop the projects and I kind of like doing um you know I I like what I do I mean and I'm mm-hmm. not I'm not a creative in that way I mean I think there I respect the people who can you know write scripts and develop ideas and raise the money for for their films and but that's that's you know that's a particular kind of skill and and Minor, minor elsewhere, you know, organizing programs and 
being mm-hmm. like a, a you know cultural maybe entrepreneur or curator or distributor mm-hmm. and well, maybe okay. and maybe somewhere in mm-hmm. the future i mean i maybe i'll help somebody produce something but i don't, i don't, i'm not a person who's going to be a director okay <laughs> <laughs> super no problem well maybe you know if it's if it's in if it's you know part of your your horizon, and if not, then we're real happy that you're doing what you're doing, you know, bringing us these films that we wouldn't know about it because you are able to, you know, in your work, travel and and go to where the films are screening and then get them for us. So we don't have to travel to all these different countries, which is not a bad thing, but... (laughs) Well, not a big thing, but they also, more and more they come to me, you know, they'll people, you know, now people will send me, they'll come, they'll... They'll send links to watch movies or, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So you don't have to, or, so you don't have to go. I don't have to go to the places. But I mean, I, I like going mm-hmm. to Toronto, to their film festivals there, and uh, the Caribbean Tales one is really, really good. So I, mm-hmm. you know, people want to, you know, it's a very unique experience. So if people want to do, I would recommend people going to that, um, okay. to that festival. Yeah. Um, any others you recommend? Um, yeah, there's a film festival in Philly that I actually want to go to because you know I go back to visit friends and family called um, the mm-hmm. Black Star Film Festival. Oh, Marcus Garvey's Black Star. <laughs> yeah, and it's a, it's, a, it's always the first week end of August, um, okay. beginning the and Thursday August third, um, I think it is. Through the let me make sure, yeah, uh, uh, Thursday, August first um, through the fourth, um, and it's very unique. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a sense, because it, it it feels to me, and maybe I'm biased because I'm Philadelphia is my home, that that it wouldn't mm-hmm. happen anywhere else. It didn't have the oh. flavor of New York or D.C. Mm-hmm. Although people from New York and D.C. come. Because they recognize mm-hmm. it's like a really special kind of feel to it, you know, very kind of um, the art is very artist driven. The people as a community event, it was curated, but you know, but it was also people who in the community who are interested in in building institutions, art institutions, or you know, go to it and support it. Mm-hmm. So the Black Star Film Festival, I think, is great. Okay. And so if you're in, if the people are in the, in the Northeast. Around that time, mm-hmm. check it out. Okay, so the Toronto Caribbean Tales, that's one. Uh, the Black Star, which is coming up. Um, yeah. And uh, what about the one um, in uh, Burkina Faso that happens every other year? That happens every Did year. That happen happened already? last year. Yeah, it happened. Okay, uh, so and actually, they had their 50th anniversary this year. What? Um, 2019, yeah. Because the oh, first one was wow. in 1969. Every a lot of stuff oh. happened in the late sixties, so you know, so that was a anniversary yeah. of that. Oh, how cool! And and you were there, right? I didn't go to that. I haven't been to to Fespaco for a number of years since two thousand seven. Um, but oh. um, it continues to go on, which is great. Mm-hmm. You know that, and yeah. So I I really appreciate you inviting me to you be on your program to talk about the Caribbean in Motion film series. So. Um, oh, yeah. Can I give the it's website again? Really awesome. Oh, certainly, yes. certainly, yeah. Sure, it's a mo- moadsf.org. That's 
M O A D S. Wait a minute. M O A D S F. dot O R G. And every sorry, it's um, July tenth, um, which is Wednesdays. Wednesdays at six thirties for five weeks, uh, ending on uh, August seventh. With um, co-sponsored by local organizations and and uh, and some special guests. Right. <laughs> cool. Super. Well, thank you so much, Cornelius, for joining us to talk about this great series that you've curated um, for Moat once again. And uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing you, you know, in um, in these uh, screening spaces. Um, it's always a pleasure okay. to see you. Great. Thank you. Likewise, I feel likewise, um, Wanda. Thank you very much for the work that you do. To let you know, to letting people know what's going on around around the Bay Area and beyond. Thank you. You have a good rest right. of the day. You too, Wanda. Bye. Okay. Bye bye. So we are going to be talking to um one of the artists that is um a part of the uh coffee, rum, sugar and gold, a post colonial paradox. Um let's see, um uh Adria um uh, Andrea Chung is gonna be joining us in about 20 or so minutes. So I thought um, the only thing is, gosh, I had this really wonderful interview with uh, Cheryl Patrice uh, Derricott. Um, it's called Ghost Ships at Moad. And she was, um, uh, she had an exhibit there. Hmm, don't have the date. It's been a, maybe a couple of years now. And uh, it was in the smaller gallery, the, the gallery where Rodney uh, Ewick has, has his exhibit as a part of um of this um this current exhibit. Um and I'm looking for Rodney's uh oh yeah Rodney's um oh no don't oh yeah Rodney uh, Ewick's uh, emerging artist it's his piece his his work in the smaller gallery is called Oh it's closing June twenty third. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. It's called Longitude and Latitude. Oh I've got to get him on the show. Um and uh and then uh, July 1st, another another uh, artist comes in, Angela Hennessy. Everybody loves the sunshine. And and then downstairs in the the gallery, uh, when you walk into the uh, museum, is Dignity Images, um, Bayview Hunters Point, and that's curated by um, American artists, and that's uh, through August 11th. So um, yeah, so don't. Um, don't be shy. Get on over to Moab. There's a lot of wonderful, wonderful um, art. And in the theater, there's another, there's some more films, short films that are being screened as part of the uh, admission. Um, you pay your admission or you come in, you know, if you're a uh, Moab uh, member, then you get in and see all of these things for free. So here's uh, Cheryl Patrice Derricott uh, talking about Ghost Ship. Uh, I just want to tell you I'm really, really excited to be speaking to you about um, about this work, um, the uh, a tribute to Fred Wilson's mind in the museum, um, and and also to our ancestors. Um, you know, looking at uh, mining the British Library for images related to the global slave trade, because I'm going to be going to Britain, and I could 
look for this too um, this summer. Oh, great! Yeah, great. well, thank yeah. you so much. I'm delighted to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're in Oakland too, and I was just in your hometown uh, two weeks ago for Dr. Francis Tress Welsing's memorial in D.C. Oh, in D.C. Mm-hmm. Did they have a memorial at Howard University? No, no. Um, it was at the. Um, the Metropolitan AME Church uh, right downtown. And, oh, okay, great. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it was, I don't know, I was deceived because first the weather was so nice and warm, you know, when I arrived, mm-hmm. and then, oh, my God, it started feeling like the winter, and I'd have an yeah. cold. It was so <laughs> cold. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> That's the East Coast. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about these ghost ships and um, and the work that you have um, is on glass, right? It is. It is. So um, I was one of two inaugural artists of MOAD's Emerging Artist Program mm-hmm. um, in honor of the Museum of the African Diaspora's 10th anniversary. They created some new programs, one of which was the Emerging Artist Program. And so they took in um, open proposals from local artists, and they asked that our proposals respond to the museum's themes, origins, transformation, movement, adaptation. And I had started um, the Ghost Ships work just about a year and a half ago when I was in graduate school and had heard about the British Library releasing a million images into the public domain. Um, I had made a cast glass ship and thought, wow, that looks kind of ghostly, the way the light is hitting it and the color of the glass. And just on chance decided, I'm going to search these images and see what comes up if I put in ghosts Hmm. or ships or ghost ships. And immediately my screen was flooded with images of slavery. And so I just said to myself, okay, I hear you, Art Muse. This is where we're going with this project, and I'm going to stay with it. And so I developed some of the first test pieces on glass um, and showed those as part of the annual Art of Living Black show. And then when the... Oh, yeah. You know the Art of Living Black? Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think was, this year was, um, uh, was it the 20-something anniversary? The 20th anniversary. Okay. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So I showed, you know, the test pieces, um, not this year, but the previous year. Hmm. And when I got the MOAD opportunity, I was like, this is really great because I can develop this body of work into a full exhibition. Mm-hmm. So for the MOAD show, I actually created 13 images on glass, 12 works on paper, and one video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow, wow. Yeah, because um, you went to the um, California Institute for Integral uh, Design, or uh, is it? Studies, studies, yeah. Studies. Right. yeah, yeah, and you also you also lecture there too, right? Yes, I'm teaching a professional development course um, this semester through CIS's public program mm-hmm. on personal finance for creative professionals. It's called Money Matters. <laughs> 
Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah, because usually when you think about artists, you think about how they, you know, are so far from, you know, sort of concrete economic development um, and end up penniless. You know, they do art for art's sake and don't really know how to manage their funds and, and be able to, you know, to be to use their art to further you know, their own work uh, as opposed to letting someone else benefit from their art and work. Right. Yeah, yeah. Ah, so with regards to your um, your academic work, how how does the art sort of fit into to that? Because for people that don't know Fred Wilson, perhaps you could talk to them about him. He is so wonderful. He got the MacArthur Genius Award, but his Absolutely. his work is so stunning around sort of finding the African presence in these museums and, you know, in their basements. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, yeah, or, I was just yeah. taken, um, when I first heard about those projects, um, as you mentioned, my home was in D.C., and he did one of those original projects at the Maryland Historical Society. Mm-hmm. And it was just fascinating to hear about, you know, unearthing this history and taking collections and sort of, Redisplaying them um, as a commentary on American history, and as he continued to do those, you know, in other museums, I always thought this is just such a brilliant idea. Um, and as you know, museums are never showing their full collection. I mean, they have tons of things, you know, in storage somewhere. So it was just a fascinating idea to me. Um, and the fact that the British Library released all these images into the public domain, I immediately thought of that project and said, well, you know, I'm kind of mining the library. I want to see what the library has as it pertains to images of the global slave trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, because what Fred Wilson does also, as you well know, is talk about relationships and how you can't take art or in this case you can't take images of people out of the context and expect to have it make sense um and mm-hmm. you know it's all about how you know sort of how you take the the artifacts or how you take the antiquities and and present them within the gallery also says something about what you're interpreting and how it's perceived and and you've got um you know one of your pieces is camels and cattle were captured too and mm-hmm. um, yeah so you know by the quarters you have you know you're showing african descendants you know in the context of building this nation which is the name of one of the pieces and uh you've got us on the ships you know traveling and yeah as long as you can sort of talk about that you've got a surrender is another piece how how did you make this choice if if there were a million images <laughs> yeah how did yes. you narrow well, it down to what you have here <laughs> well thanks for that question so i searched um i probably searched 20 terms through you know the digital archives these million images that the British Library released. Um, and, you know, I would do variations. So if I did ghosts, then I'd do ghosts plural or ship, ships, slave ship. You know, so I really um, tried to be creative and sort of cover all the bases to see what images I might get. 
Um, and by the time I met with Moad's director of exhibitions, Emily Coleman, I had a working group of maybe 35 images. I had narrowed it down. Um, and the way I sort of made the initial cut in my mind was that I very much wanted the shift to show that element of the movement of people and how they were dispersed all over the world, um, consistent with Moed's four themes. And I wanted the portraits to be in glass. And um, I really liked developing the ships on sort of the dark navy paper um, with the white ink because it gave them that ghostly, ephemeral look. Um, and then I just found that, um, well, glass is always my first love, so I felt that the portraits of people um, were just very compelling in glass to have sort of that translucency come through. Yeah, I was just looking at some of them. They're just beautiful. You've got, you know, a group of ex-slaves from Jamaica. You've got, um, uh, you've got portraits um, in glass. You've got ships, um, uh, you know, from you know different places like the HMS Dryad in Zanzibar, which is looking at, you know, slavery um, in East Africa. You know, from mm-hmm. the Arab Arab slave trade, and then and then they have one hands up, don't shoot. Like ah, oh, you know that has a current resonance. You know, resonance yes. for us. Yes. Ah, oh, that's not new. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt when I found that image. You know, I was mm-hmm. like, wow, this is from the 1880s, and it's so present and current. Um, and so, in that sense, I couldn't resist you know, not titling the piece that way because it was such a contemporary image even though it was a historical image. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got um, you know, some sort of iconic, you know, kind of images, um, you know, the old time mammy, la negress, um, you know, the sham missionary, you know, cuz um, you know, for those who know their history, yeah, uh, the the missionaries are, you know, really central to colonizing Africa and yes. to enslaving black people. Um, yeah, and, you know, it's like, wow, um, slave catching in the Indian Ocean, um, the slave mother and child. You know, you think about, um, you know, you know General Harriet Tubman and her work. Um, mm-hmm. You've got whole fleets, you know, the fleet of Don Alvar- Alvaro, de Madonna, um, and then some, you know, that when one might see in a Dick type, like the history of a slave, you know, that particular work. Um, you probably know the work of one of your colleagues, um, um, gosh, um, um, Brian, um, uh, Brian Keith. Um, he's at, um, what's his last name? I'm drawing a blank. Um, he, um, he does... He actually had something at the Oakland Museum recently. Um, oh, he, mm-hmm. yeah, he does um, work, um, and he's also had some stuff at um, at Joyce Gordon Gallery in Oakland. And he his his uh, he he always has like he has like cotton, like real cotton. His father actually sent him a uh, a bushel of cotton, and and he has other types of um, of 
sort of artifacts he puts it in the work that sort of resonates for you in a real tactile sense. And this does mm-hmm. too. I mean, like this this has like a sort of visceral kind of effect, you know, this kind of work, I'm sure. When people encounter it, it's like it's not you're not just looking at it. It sort of grabs you. <laughs> yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. One person um actually said to me they felt such an inherent tension mm-hmm. in looking at the images because you wondered what happened next in mm-hmm. some of the pictures, you know. I mean, what happened to the woman with her hands up? You know, what happened to the people in the water um, with slaves catching in the Indian Ocean? You know, mm-hmm. um, and I said, yeah, I do think there, you know, in several of the images, there's a lot of tension because, you know, we don't get to see the next frame, but we can imagine the horrors that came after the frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 and... You know, um, and then, you know, it's not all passive either. Um, you know, you've got tools of resistance, and you have another one. I think you have like communication tools. Um, yes. Yeah. So there's, um, yeah, it's it's not victimhood. Um, you know, it's like these these people, these ancestors are are active, and and I'm just thinking it's really interesting that we're speaking today because. Um, Friday was, because you're a D.C. native, um, you know about the United Nations, um, uh, the whole thing around remembering slavery and the um, uh, March 20, um, what was it, Friday, um, Good Friday, March 22nd, uh, whatever mm-hmm. Friday was, is the uh, the day mm-hmm. that would have been the day that the UN had a program around um, uh, remembering slavery and the end of slavery specifically. And this particular year, I think the theme is looking at women of Af- the women, African women uh, who were enslaved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and today, um, Doctor, um, today um, Tuesday, Doctor uh, Cheryl Walker gave a talk at the program at the UN about sort of looking at um, the global diaspora. And, and she mentioned in a conversation we had last Friday that, you know, we need to think about it as if, you know, like being in the diaspora, we have 200, is it 200 million? Yeah, 200 million cousins. We have a big right. family. And I'm like, yeah, that's a great way to think about it. Like, we're not alone. That's right. We're not powerless. You know, there's a whole lot of us. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> mhm. Yeah, and I just think about you know this work you know that you have here, is it sort of like puts it in 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 a context like you can see our people. Yes, and I really wanted the portraits. Um, well, all of the work, even the work on paper um, that has people in it, sort of the sub themes. Um, I wanted them to be dignified. You know, I mean, I felt a real presence with the images, um, even, you know, in the sadness in the slave mother's eyes. um, There's still a great dignity and resilience Mm -hmm. in her image. So I really wanted that to shine through in the work. Um, I think the sub-themes about, you know, labor and around the slave quarters, um, certainly you start to see the rise of the Mammy narrative in some of those images by the slave quarters. Um, But again, it wasn't 
quite, you know, the full-blown caricature that we started to see later on, because um, these images were from the 1880s, um, and certainly, you know, later on in the history, um, it got worse, you know, as we proceeded into the Jim Crow laws. So I think um, it was just really important to me to sort of show the breadth of it all um, from a diaspora perspective from Moed and not just hone in on the Atlantic slave trade or the American South um, and just show a real diversity of images. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the uh, artist's name is Brian uh, Keith Thomas. And um, and then I was also thinking about a playwright um, who had a play about, um, uh, it was, um, after enslavement, and it took place on the West Coast, and it was at the Magic Theater, and um, and it looked at sort of a, re- a reverse trade, you know, a ship going from here to there. And you probably know um, Joanna Haygood, <clears throat> um, Zocco Dance Company. And, yes. And she, oh, it's great. Yeah, the play was called Penmanship. Um, did you get a chance to see that? Because you were... Um, I didn't see that. Oh, I didn't okay. see that. Did Did you know about it? Um, the 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 work. Um, I'm looking for the uh, the her name. The the uh, playwright's name is Christina Anderson. Pen. Okay. No, I didn't that. know about the okay. work. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because that particular piece, it took place looking at. Okay. Well, you know, slavery's over. We got all these black people here. What do we do with them? <laughs> how can we get them? Can, how can we send them back to Africa or something? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, we can't work them for free. So it was like a reverse trade. And and similarly, um, in Joanna Haker's work, it was in, set in San Francisco, and it looked at um, black people who were being mistreated in San Francisco, and they were they had the wherewithal to be able to hire a ship and be able to really? sail away. And so that was the name of the work, Sail Away. And they left from San Francisco and went to Canada. They just packed their things, closed down their businesses, and left this wow. the country. Wow, what an interesting premise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, you think about sort of the notion of the water, right? You think about August Wilson and Jim of the Ocean, you know, the first work that, that he did uh, in the uh, Centennial uh, series of, of showing 100 years of black history. And yes. and that particular work was just, just had a marvelous um, uh, production at the um, um, the Mill Valley, the, uh, the, uh, the um, I'm trying to think what's the name of the, it's uh, the Marin Theater Company. Did you get a chance to oh, see that? Oh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, Margot Hall played, um, Played on Esther, and she was simply marvelous. But just the whole notion of all this water, right? You know, Yemen Jah, you know, you know, yes. sort of like the the spirituality of this. So I was wondering if you could talk about how that sort of runs through your work as well, because I'm sure you're aware of it. Yes, the water for me. Um... Oh. I'm so sorry. You're not going to be able to hear uh, what uh, Cheryl Patrice uh, Derrica says. But um, it's in the archives. We spoke for about an hour, and we are so excited to have um, on the air presently uh, Andrea Chun, um, who um, who's one of the wonderful artists that is a part of 
the exhibit we've been talking about this morning, Coffee, Rum, Sugar, and Gold, a Postcolonial Paradox. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm great. So um, is your first name pronounced um, Andrea? Um, Andrea? Andrea. 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 Okay. Great, great. Yeah, um, I'm going to share your bio with with our audience, but I just love that you work in sugar. I mean, it's just so amazing, you know, the work that uh, is at the Museum of the African Diaspora right now. And every time I go, I look to see how it might have changed since I was last there, you know, given, you know, right now it's very, very, very warm, and I don't know how stable the um the temperature is in Moad. Um so the sugar might be the, the the sculpted pieces might be shifting a little bit more since we've been having this heat wave. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's definitely um part of the work. Like I want people to revisit the work as for the duration of the exhibition. Um mm-hmm. I, I installed another sugar piece in uh LA a couple years ago oh. and it was incredibly mm-hmm. hot and it just melted so fast that I had to come back and and reinstall some of the pieces. Oh wow, wow. That's so cool. Yeah. And and you actually um you know live and work in Southern California in San Diego um specifically and you received your Bachelor of Fine Arts from Parsons School of Design in New York and a Master of Fine Arts from Maryland Institute College of Art in Baltimore. Um, your recent biennale and museum ex- exhibitions include Prospect for New Orleans and the Jamaican um, Biennale uh, in Kingston, Jamaica, as well as the Chinese American Museum and California African American Museum in Los Angeles and the San Diego Art Institute. In 2017, your first solo museum ex- exhibition took place at the Museum of Contemporary Art in San Diego. You broke the ocean in half to be here. Ah, oh, what a nice title. You broke the ocean in half. Wow. Um, well, that's a great title. Um, you have participated in national and international residencies, including uh, the Vermont Studio Center, uh, McCall Center for Visual Arts, Headland Center for the Arts, and that's here in the Bay Area in San Francisco, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and... and um, Skull Hagen School Skowhegan. of Painting and Sculpture. Say it again. Skowhegan. Okay. Um, your work has been written about in the Art File Magazine, New Orleans Times, Picayune, Artnet, Los Angeles Times, and the International Review of African American Art, as well as a number of academic essays looking at the subject of colonialism and slavery in the Caribbean. Um, so again, welcome, and I want to let our audience know that I'm reading from your website, um, Andrea uh, Chun Art, um, C H U N Art C H U N G. C H U N G. Thank you. I'm looking at and spelling wrong. <laughs> wow, I've been really wanting to talk to you since I missed you at um, the opening festivities when this wonderful exhibit opened, just because of the kind of materials that you use um, uh, to create in. And um, what if you could talk about about your medium, you know, sugar. And, I mean, sugar, and, and it also seems, you know, I'm just thinking, because I, I read a lot about you maybe a week and, a, and two weeks ago, um, but 
I don't remember the details as much as I read it as I did when I was like, uh, we were talking about trying to connect and figure out when we we're going to be able to connect. So I'm really happy that this is happening. Um, but uh, yeah, just just it seems as if your work, um, you know, it has a physicality, but it's also metaphor. So it has a physicality, but then it has a resonance that's beyond that. Like after the sugar has melted, yeah. there there is still something there, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's a, a residue left over, and I mm-hmm. want people mm-hmm. to sort of think about that residue. Um, I started working with sugar in, when I was in grad school, actually, like 2006, 2007. Um, mm-hmm. For me, I have a very personal connection to it. Um, my parents are both from the Caribbean, and thinking a lot about, um, you know, the migration of people, um, both voluntary and involuntary, from various locations. Um so I was always asking myself, you know, what's the origin of, what's my, my grandparents' origin story? And a lot of it revolved around sugar. Um, and I was also, um, I have a personal connection in the sense also that my, um, I have diabetes that runs through my family. Um, and my mm-hmm. grandmother actually had, um, she passed away having her second leg amputated. And I have a lot of other family members that currently um, suffer from diabetes. So for me, it, it you know, it resonates um, in a historical context, but also in a personal context. Um, so I initially started off playing with sugar um, by casting my own leg out of sugar as a way to give mm-hmm. it back to my, my grandmother to sort of honor her hard work. And from there, I just continued to play with it and sort of push the material, painting with it, making sculpture with it, um, you know, um, started trying to control it and you know, realized that it didn't want to be controlled. So I think that's where a lot of the melting aspects came from. So a lot of it's just been play and failure and, you know, learning from those failures and trying to incorporate it in the work. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And and then um, thinking about your, your Proverbs piece, um, Proverbs 12, um, um and in, in that particular piece, you have sugar, beads, rice, herbs, spices, and paper. And um, yeah, and 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 in the uh, the work, you know, you've got these Bibles, you've got these, you know, rosary beads. I mean, it's it's uh, you know, spirituality is sort of invoked, you know, by by the mm-hmm. the pieces in the work. And uh, and and a lot of our people, you know, people of African descent, just because of just sort of the um, the transport here was disruptive enough. And then we get to the different the climate, right? And and that mm-hmm. that sort of you know affects you know our physicality and 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 you know because people have to adapt, the adaptation you know, often is it, it could manifest in some kind of malady. You know, we have sickle cell anemia, which is a product of the diaspora. We've got diabetes, mm-hmm. which is a product of the diaspora. And then, we, you know, we think about sugar. You know, we, we shorten it. She got sugar, right? I'm I'm from Louisiana, mm-hmm. from New yeah. Orleans. And, yeah, and they just say, you know, she got sugar. sugar. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and then and then you talk about sort of on the other side, you know, you talk about people being sweet. You know, mm-hmm. and how you could be sweet on someone but you could just you know, you could be sweet. And it's so interesting, you know, sort of play with, with sugar and, and thinking about, you know, cane and you think about 
how it has these different forms, you know, is granulated, you know, when it's processed. <laughs> and then and then they use it to make different kinds of beverages, alcoholic beverages. You know, you put so much sugar mm-hmm. in it like, to make things. This is like really interesting and then and then how people have suffered because of sugar. Um Yeah. And then in your Yeah, and then in your process you use so much sugar to make this art. <laughs> That we see him. Yeah, I think I've used almost about 100 pounds of sugar for that in particular. I think that's the most I've cooked in a really long time. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of nonstop. But your your reading of it is is pretty spot on. Um, you know, especially like in talking about adjustments. Um, you know, oftentimes I uh, I don't think that people realize that how much our diets had to change. Um, and you know, a lot of processed things that we're not accustomed to eating, a lot of those things started taking place. Um, and I'm really interested in um, those adjustments. So, like, especially when you start thinking about religion uh, and a lot of the beads sort of represent, you know, the adjustments of having to sort of hide your religious practices. Um, like in Haiti, people would take um, traditional African practices and, and mask them with Catholicism, you know, taking Catholic saints and converting them into their orishas. So, um, you know, I play with the beads in that sense and kind of like embed them in the Bible to sort of discuss Mm -hmm. that. And also like, um, you know, adjustments in the sense of, you know, wanting a little piece of home. I know that when I, um, when I go back to New York, I, I have to get my food because I can't get Caribbean food here in in, uh, California. So, um, Mm I always thought it was really fascinating that women would often um, hide grains of rice in their hair. They would braid their hair and um, embed the grains in their hair so that when they were um, on these long journeys, they would be able to plant the rice and and grow it. And a lot of that rice you'll find in the Carolinas. It's often called Carolina gold. But you can also find that rice in Trinidad. You can find it um, in Brazil. So I'm really fascinated with that um, those adjustments and also um, thinking a lot about how how um, religion was forced upon um, black folks from the diaspora and um, how, you know, um, thinking about the, um, the slave Bible and how parts of the Bible were uh, redacted so that, mm-hmm. so that slaves couldn't use the parts of the Bible that, that detested slavery they weren't able to use that against their slave owners. Um, and just like the twisting of the religion, but also thinking about how um, religion also helped people get through slavery. So it's a really complicated, um, complicated relationship. So I'm just interested in sort of raising those questions and getting people to really think about um, the relationship between the sugar and, and how the Bible has been used to both justify um, colonization um, and the idea of mm. civility and you know I'm just raising questions and thinking about uh, a lot of different things when I'm when I'm playing around with the materials. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then you also have like I was looking. Uh, you have like sheets of music. You know, for hymns. Um, I was looking. You've got a leke uh, for um, Ashu Legba. Um, you know, mm-hmm. sort of wrapped around a, a book-looking kind of um, uh, object, and then you've got a gavel, like you know, for law and order or for justice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. 
where where do you find the pieces of like for instance um do you have an idea before you you um i mean like how does the thing get in the sugar um um and 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 what are, what are your ideas around this because it's all really um sort of neatly laid out i mean you know the squares are squares the rectangles are rectangular and then you've got these things inside of solids inside of the sugar um do you cut it apart? How how do you? And they're different colors. Like it's not it's not translucent except you know when there's an uh, there might be the sheet music. You can you can actually read you know that this is not sheet music, but this is actually part of a Bible pages. It's like Jeremiah, and um, and then you've got strings and beads and and some are really dark you know sugar objects and some are lighter and yeah. How how do you? How do you do it? <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, a lot of it is just trial and error and failure and mm. learning from my failures in the past. And then um, when I initially wanted to do this piece, I was thinking about the phrase, I swear on a stack of Bibles. So initially I was thinking about casting a huge, huge stack of Bibles, but um, that would have taken a lot of time to been able to cook and I was um, actually flying from New York to uh, San Francisco to install. So I had about a week Um, and I was cooking and cooking. And as I was cooking, I was just, um, you know, experimenting along the way. And I like these kinds of installs because I never know, I love site specific installs because I never know what it's actually going to look like. Um, Mm -hmm. And that, that makes it more fun and challenging and really scary um, but it's, it's, it's exciting, um, because I don't know what it's going to look like. Um, and I know that's like a curator's worst nightmare, but, um, for me, it's, it's the fun part of being an artist. Um, I really don't know how these things are going to work together. So when I was cooking all the sugar, I was just throwing things in the mold as I poured the sugar in, um, and just wanted to see what would happen. And from there, you know, once I, I experiment and I see what's going to happen, then I start finding other materials. And, you know, I went, I went around the city and found some Bibles, and then I found that hymnal book and tried to find um, hymnals that were specific to us. So I have Amazing Grace um, that I ripped out of the hymnal book, and um, I just dipped it in the sugar and let it sort of crystallize and see what was going to happen and then shaped it as it was um, starting to harden um, I had already brought the er- the herbs with me. They're like medicinal herbs that midwives oh, okay. would often use um, to treat women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kind of threw them in there and wanted to see what would happen. Would they retain their smell? Um, the various colors of the sugar is just the temperature at which you cook it at. Um, it's essentially like cooking candy. So mm-hmm. when I first um, got there, the first Airbnb I was in didn't have a stove. So I had to quickly go to um, the curator's apartment and I was cooking in her apartment and my thermometer wasn't working. So the darker um, Bibles are actually the sugar that burned. And unfortunately it spilled all over her her kitchen floor and (laughs) she's forever marked um, (laughs) with me being there. Um, So, you know, once you, um, you have these mistakes, you know, I use that in quotations happen, you're able to see what's, you know, what's possible. Um, and I think my practice kind of thrives on 
messing up and then realizing what you can do when those things happen um, and, and playing with that. Like I love to learn how to make things and then learn how to destroy them because you, you see what the range is of the material and it's a challenging material to work with. And I've been working with it for so long and I still haven't, you know, I don't know if I could ever master it because there's so many different things you can do. You can blow sugar just like you blow glass. Mm-hmm. And I've yet to do that yeah. yet. You can pull it. You can, you know, sculpt it into all these different things. And I'm just mm-hmm. barely sort of scratching the surface with it. So it's just play. It's it's all play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking, you know, when you think about cotton candy, um, you know, you can make it like clouds, um, you know. Yeah. That, that texture is like, wow, that would be really amazing um, to see sort of how you um, take this one uh, particular um, medium and explore its various iterations, like how it shows up, yeah. you know, depending on what your, what your, you know, what your goal is, you know, in the particular work. Ah, really interesting. Yeah, I noticed that um, um, you work in a lot of mediums, um, you know, not just sugar, Um and um, however, it seems to, you know, always be, you know, sort of connected, sort of almost viscerally to to uh, an experience, you know, that you might hold in your body or, or because of ancestors or, you know, community that also live in the same body because, you know, you might have all shared the same food or the same air or the same, you know, geographical location. And and I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about, um, you know, sort of how you, I don't know, came to to speak this kind of language, you know, the one that you speak. Uh, and before that, uh, I looked up the um, um, the Proverbs, um, Luke, um, what is it, Luke? Um, uh, was it Luke twelve twenty two or was it? Twelve twenty-two. It's, it's I was Proverbs wondering what 12, it's Proverbs twelve. Yeah, and I was wondering if you could tell us um, what it is. What is Proverbs twelve twenty-two? <laughs> the the verses the Lord detests lying lips, but He delights in people who are trustworthy. Um, huh. So okay. it, it's sort of a play on the fact that you know uh, you have these slave masters that are you know trying to justify slavery using the Bible. Um, you know, these people are savages and need to be civilized and it's okay for us to make them slaves because they don't know any better. Um, I think that's really interesting um, and, you know, hypocritical. And I, I, I think the hypocrisies um, are what interests me, you know, how you can, mm-hmm say one thing it's like Trump saying that he loves women but he's a you know misogynist like you can't it, you can't have it both ways <laughs> um, and I'm interested right. in those hypocrisies and sort of exploring that and the fact that people don't that like the, I'm really interested in the effort that goes into justifying colonialism like I think that um, that's a lot of work you know that's a lot of work to sit there and um, plan these things like it's you know you got to be a tad bit psychotic to sit there and you know, let me let me think about how I could use this to justify what I'm doing because I know deep in my heart that it's wrong. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm interested in the lies that people tell themselves to to justify their mistreatment of others. Um, it's it's very curious to me, and especially being a parent now. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like 
thinking about what I'm trying to teach my son, uh, you know, to be, to have integrity and everything like that. And it's interesting when you can't point to integrity um, within adults to your child, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing to think about. Um, but as far as the, the various materials I use, um, I'm just really fascinated with um, the history of materials. And I actually started mm. off using food materials and spices. Um, mm. And again, thinking about migration and, you know, the Caribbean is so incredibly diverse. And I think that there's this misunderstanding of, you know, what the Caribbean looks like um, you know, there's a huge Chinese population in parts of the Caribbean. There's a big Indian population. Um, there's a big Muslim population, Hindu. You know, it's really, really incredibly diverse. Um, and I always think it's funny that people tend to ask me a lot about my last name, considering that they live here in the States. And this is an incredibly diverse country. So it shouldn't be so strange to think that another country could be that diverse. Um, and and because of the diversity, you know, I share a lot of histories with other parts of the world. So, um, for example, I did a Fulbright in Mauritius, which is, you know, in sub-Saharan mm-hmm. Africa. It's a small island in the middle of the Indian Ocean. And their history is so incredibly similar to mine. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it has to do with slavery that, um, you know, slaves moved through that island and then came to the Caribbean. Indentured servants came through um, that island, and then we're dispersed throughout the Caribbean. So, you know, it, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you will find a connection, um, especially, you know, people of color. And I'm, I'm, I'm interested in making those connections and looking at the similarities and the differences and um, learning about the uniqueness of all of those cultures. Um, you know, curry is a really good example. Um, curry can be found anywhere in the world. But the curries mm-hmm. in the Caribbean are very specific to the Caribbean and are not like curries in India or Thailand or, you know, Indonesia. They're very, very specific to this region. And there's a reason for that, and that all has to do with the migration of people um, into these locations and the lack of having access to to certain ingredients. Um, and I think that's very representative of, of the people who've moved from who've been moved from one place to the next. So I think that's why I tend to um, play around with those materials. Um, and it just, it ranges. And then I'm very project-based and material-based, and I'm interested in, in just the process of learning um, and learning mm-hmm. what I can do with those materials and learning about the history of those materials. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So were you raised um, in, um, in Trinidad? No, I was actually, um, I was born in um, Jersey, and I grew up mostly mm-hmm. in Houston. Um, and there's a okay. the, the small, small population of Caribbean people there. So it's it's funny because I have, like, a really interesting uh, cultural experience of, you know, being, like, growing up in the South, essentially, but <laughs> having mm-hmm. um, very Caribbean parents and then, you know, being able to go back to New York for college. You know, I felt like I was finally around. Um <laughs> I guess my tribe in a lot of ways, but I still, mm-hmm. I still have a lot of connections to the South. I mean, it's how I grew up. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah. Sort of um, people that, um, you know, got put off the boat or the ship 
in in you know in this location versus another location, but maybe started out from from the continent from Africa from the same place. You just you know depending on where you got dropped off. Yeah, wow. I was looking at um uh some of your work, you know, from your website and uh the um the May Day series, um and you have some others that have, you know, conspicuous absence, um, like, you know, there there are these products like the bananas or the plantains, um, and other and I don't know what's in the sacks. And then within the people I guess who produce this particular um, agriculture, they are they're gone. They're not in there. They're like just their their outline. You know, a blank white mm-hmm. space. Yeah, I wonder if you could talk about um, your um, your other work, which is not using sugar, but more um, visual art. Um, I, for those pieces, um, I started with those in grad school and just sort of continued oh. playing around with it. And I was mm-hmm. interested, um, I had been doing a lot of work on my family and it got to be a little too personal. So it's like trying to take a critique of your grandmother's very challenging to do. So I wanted to sort of generalize and look outwardly. And I was thinking a lot about, um, laborers and, you know, the best way to, to sort of honor those laborers, um, and you know, I couldn't permanently change anything that's already occurred. So I, I, I also try to have like a bit of sense of humor in the work because um, it's such a heavy topic, um, and people mm-hmm. tend to run from that. Um, so I, I decided I wanted to give them a day off. Um, so that's oh, why they have absence. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I wanted to oh, give them a day off uh, from their work. Yeah. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. And then May Day is is also a day of um, you know a, a laborer's day, um, and also yeah. uh-huh. right, and then also a signal like a, a signal for distress. Um, so I like to I like to play around with with words and how I use them when I'm titling things. Um, so that's that's kind of where that came from, and um, I was looking up. Mm-hmm a bunch of um, archival Im- images that are often used to depict slaves in the Caribbean, but slavery was abolished in the, in the Caribbean prior to photography um, being invented. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those images uh-huh. actually came after the abolishment of slavery and were posed. Um, and they're all generally images of, of people in subservient positions, um, which I thought was very interesting. Like you'd oftentimes see people laying down and, in the cane fields, and that's not something that would generally occur, or you'd see them eating, mm-hmm. um, you know, the products of their labor. That would never really happen. And a lot of those images were taken um, to show that even after the abolishment of slavery, that black folks were still very docile um, and that they mm-hmm. wouldn't hurt um, white people. So, And they were using those to promote tourism into the island. So then I started looking at um, tourism magazines and realizing that very little had changed. Um, a lot of those figures are still in subservient positions. So you have a butler that's bending over serving a drink or a woman giving someone a massage or babysitting or braiding their hair. So those tropes haven't really changed. Um, and neither has the um, the economy. It's moved from one surface economy to the next. So that's how a lot of those cutout pieces um, sort of started. Hmm. Mm-hmm. 
No, oh, interesting, interesting. Wow, wow. And and talk about, you know, your sort of your artistic, you know, life. How did you come to um I mean, have you been uh sort of exploring your, your various your creative talents all of your life? Um, do you come from a family that is um uh you know, also practice, you know, have art practice? Um not at all. You know, art practice? <laughs> oh, okay. Not even a little bit. Uh, they're not exactly excited about me being artist. Uh, my mom is now. Oh. She's real supportive, uh-huh. but my father is not not too crazy about me um, being an artist. Especially, it's, I find that to be really funny because he's actually really creative. Like he's really great at woodworking, but he he says it's just a hobby. Um, and he used to build my frames for for quite some time, um, but we fell out. So he's he's no longer speaking with me or um, supportive of, of what I do. Um, and I think a lot of my other extended family members don't really just don't understand it and don't try to understand mm-hmm. it. So um, they're not the most supportive group, but I've always wanted to be an artist um, ever since I was young. It's all I've ever mm-hmm. wanted to do. It's, um, you know, like I've had office jobs, numerous office jobs that I would just get fired from because I just yeah, I wasn't built for that. And I really think that this is what I was um, built to do. Um, it's kind of like a gift and a curse in that way. Like, I I love it. I mean, I, I can't see myself doing anything else. Um, and it's, mm. you know, constantly learning new things. I, I, I try to challenge myself every time I do a new project by teaching myself how to do something new. Um, mm. Well, yeah, it's just, this is in me. And there are other people in my family that are, are creative but they haven't been nurtured to um to to follow those paths. So which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was looking at some of your, your more recent work, you know, Midwives, Pure and You Broke the Ocean and Have to Be Here. Um and uh yeah, it's your work, um, you know, you, you are definitely like one can say Oh, I know what I'm going to see when I go to the gallery or to, you know, to see your work because it's all so different. Um, yeah, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, really different. Um, and which I guess um, might keep it interesting for you, right? Um, since you're like you say, you're yeah, I have exploring. to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to keep it interesting yeah. for myself, or just. I just get bored with it, um, so I just want to challenge myself all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and being a mother has that has that enhanced the creativity. Um, I definitely think I'm more creative now. Um, I'm more productive now um, than mm-hmm. before I I had my son. I think um, I think there's a fear that a lot of um, women artists have that you know if they have a child that's like the end of their career. But for me, it's been um, it's been really, really great. Um, I I feel like I'm um, not that I wasn't ever thoughtful before, but I I think that I'm uh, the work is a lot more thoughtful now than it was before. I'm very careful about um, the images that I use, um, mm-hmm. and I just I get more done. I think because you really realize what little time you have when you have a child. So every every minute is precious. So I try to get as much work done as possible like when he's in school or um like he's a day camp right now and I was telling him I was like you need to hurry up because I have an interview in <laughs> so 
you know, just trying to, you know, get as much done as possible and, and trying to include him in a lot of the work too. So, um, you know, I try to make sure that I can take him along with me on certain trips so that he gets something out of it also. Um, and that he understands that, you know, there's a lot of possibilities of, of what he can do when he grows up and, um, yeah, I want him to learn about new cultures and explore and be curious and ask lots of questions. You know, I want him to be incredibly inquisitive. And so far, so good. I mean, he's he's super curious about the world and um, always wanting to contribute to the work. So, mm-hmm. oh, that's excellent. Yeah, I was thinking. Um, uh, yeah, almost like you know the the title. You broke the ocean and have to be here. Um, I I could hear a mother saying that <laughs> to a child, but then I could also see that, you know, given given our history as a people and our travels, um, you know, our, our migrations, you know, both intentional and not, um, but we're here, you know, and 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 we could say, you know, thing a lot of things broke <laughs> for us to be able to be present, um, and then and then I look it's at the porcelain. Hmm. I was going to say it's actually taken from um, a poet, um, Narawaii. Mm. She writes a lot about um, that particular piece, I believe, is called um, The Immigrant. So she writes um, oh. about, you know, you broke the ocean and have to be here. And the last part of the poem is um, to realize that you weren't wanted. And I feel like that's a, um, you know, it can be seen in so many different ways when you read that poem. Um that I, I find it to be really interesting. So I was really inspired by her her poem. Mm-hmm. Tell us her name again. Um, Nahir Wahi. Spell it for me. I have to. I'd have to uh, email you the spelling of her name. I okay. always forget how to spell her name. Sure. And and did you say that you weren't wanted or you were wanted? Um. Uh, oh, the poem? Yeah. Are you talking about the poem? Um, yeah, yes. only uh-huh. to realize that um, you weren't wanted. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought you said. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I definitely want to read the rest of that poem. And then and then you have um, the other, other piece, um, which I think uh, is pure, and you have the hands. It looks like they're they're in ablution. They're also in supplication. And then you have the uh, the porcelain, like the classical with the blue in it. Um, and it's like, wow, that's you know really symbolic. Um, you know that particular, you know, washing the hands, um, having the hands in supplication, and um, and and then the midwives, which has a lot of symbolism, you know, in there with um the the placement of of the the figure and is this um is this mixed media um the midwife one as well yes 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 mhm yeah yeah and so um can you tell us a little bit about those two before you go <laughs> and also unless you want to talk about what you're working on presently and where we can where we oh, can no, see no, you no, again. i don't i don't mind talking about it. <laughs> um I was doing a um, collaborative project with a professor at uh, at Pitzer here in uh, Southern California, and her research was on um, black midwives of the South. 
um, and mm-hmm. particularly looking at um, granny midwives. And mm-hmm. I was really interested in um, looking at midwives in the Caribbean because my grandmother was a midwife in Trinidad. So um, oh, okay. we decided to do a, a comparative study to see um, if there were similarities in some of their practices because they often um, retained a lot of traditional African practices um, when it came to to the way that they treated certain mothers, so um, certain medicinal herbs and things like that. Um, we wanted to see if, if there were similarities in the practices. So we, um, we went to Jamaica for a month, and we interviewed midwives and people who had been birthed by midwives, um, and they're referred to as Nana midwives. We also interviewed um, some of them, and, um, you know, we, we saw that a lot of, there were a lot of similarities, a lot of the roots that were used, um, a lot of the practices of um, um, like using strings, like red string that would go around the baby's wrists or red mm-hmm. stockings that were put on the baby. And that was a way to sort of um, ward off bad spirits. Um, and one of the things that I thought was really interesting and that we saw um, as a way to describe both midwives in both locations was the fact that they were referred to as dirty, um, which I thought Mm. was really interesting considering that um, present-day obstetrics is based off of white doctors researching and learning from black midwives. Um, So I I thought that was really interesting that you could go and now um, label them as being dirty even though they taught you everything that you know. So I decided to cast the hands out of soap and um, it's mm. placed on the wall so that the viewer can come in and interact with the hands so you can wash, you can choose to wash your hands with the hands of the midwives. So the soap mm. hands are installed at Devon House, um, which is like a historic house in Kingston, Jamaica, and that was for the, the biennial there. Um, and the midwife pieces, the collages, are a continuation of those ideas and also the fact that present-day midwives, um, they're often hidden like you have to know somebody who knows somebody that can connect you with a midwife so I've tried to obscure some of the original practices of those midwives within the collages but still show traces of um, where you can recognize some of those practices um, in present day obstetrics Um, so yeah I mean it was it was a fun project to do um, and I had again a personal connection to it because because of my grandmother and um you know, until the day that she died, she kept in touch with a lot of the, the women and the children um, that she birthed, um, so much so that they she was really beloved, and they would often pay for her medical bills. Um, you know, she kept her um, her registry book of all of the children that she, she had birthed. So I just, you know, it's an instant connection. And I, I also think that, like, becoming a mother really pushed me in the, the direction of um, – you know, being interested in, in this kind of work and just the importance of, um, I guess, caring for mothers and just motherhood in general. So I've just been very drawn to that. Mm, nice, nice. Were you born at home? Did your grandmother birth you? No, uh, <laughs> no, no. My grandmother was, she was still in Trinidad. She was a little bit older by the time that I was born, but uh, no, no. And then I didn't have a midwife either. I, I had complications with my with my pregnancy, so I had to have him really early. Um, mm-hmm. But no, I'm, 
and I'm I'm terrified of natural childbirth. <laughs> I give a, a props <laughs> to any woman that does it. That just seems like an incredible amount of pain. But I had to have a C-section and was actually grateful for that because I was terrified. Um, but um, you were gonna try it, yeah. though, huh? Even though you were terrified. Oh, you were no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I knew going in when I was pregnant that I was going to have to have a C-section. It was that okay. I was already, you know, well aware. But um, yeah, I was kind of like thankful for that. I was like, because the epidural was a beast, so I can't even imagine pushing a child out of my body. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Well, that's you know, whatever works to get the baby here is fine. You know, healthy, yes. healthy baby. <laughs> well, I, I found the piece, um, uh, I don't know if it's uh, Nayira Waheed, uh, N-A-Y-Y-I-R-A-H, an immigrant. Um, yeah, you broke, let's see. Yeah, yeah, you broke the ocean and have to be here only to meet nothing that wants you. Whoa, someone said snaps to that. <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty powerful <laughs> poem for only two lines. I read it and was just like blown mm-hmm. away by it. I was like, with a really distinct way of of putting it. So, mhm, yeah, yeah, she's got some really powerful two and three and four line meditations. Yeah. They're like, ooh, she's good. Yeah, thanks so mm-hmm. much for you know um, you know lifting her name up and with the work and and so that we can know know what she's doing, and then the other you know day of absence um, you know Douglas Turner Ward's uh, classic um, play about the day that all black people disappeared and the white folks didn't know what to do because they hadn't been running their lives <laughs> they were relying on us people like we don't know how to do this we don't know how to take care of our children um, and even. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just for 24 hours, and and I don't know if, if um, things changed for the better the next day for people of African there's descent a, that were. Um... There's a film also <laughs> called The Day Without Mexicans, where a Mexican filmmaker mm. made a movie about that too, where everyone just didn't work, and I thought that was like incredibly powerful. You know, I don't think that people really realize how dependent mm-hmm. they are on us, and and how much. Mm-hmm impact we make in the world so yeah I think those kinds of mm-hmm. things are incredibly powerful right yeah yeah and lastly um, I wanted to ask you how um, you know how how have you know sort of like as you were being raised how were you able to like claim all your various aspects of, of your heritage to, to be whole as opposed to just sort of focusing on maybe the more visible aspect of your heritage how were you able to in, in your uh, the way that you were raised to be able to um, pull on the strengths of all of your person, all of all of your ancestors. I don't know. That's a tough question. Um, I mean, for me, this is I'm the norm. Um, so I never really, I never really saw myself as being that different until people tried to make me feel um, as though I was different or strange or you know a novelty. Um, but this is, you know, all I know. I mean, um, I'm just, a, you know, I'm just a mixture of all of my experiences. And, you know, I'm just, um, yeah, I grew up in the South, so I can relate to a lot of Southern things. And, uh, like, New Orleans to me um, feels like home in a way just because it's, 
uh, it's considered like the northernmost Caribbean city um, because there's so many similarities to um, to the Caribbean. Um, and then, you know, there's a huge group of uh, Louisianans that have moved to Houston. So for me, all of that was really familiar. Um, our foods mm-hmm. are different. Um, but I don't know. For it, It's always just been something I've been comfortable with and, and what I'm used to. And, um, you know, it's, I think for people here, it's strange, but it's not, you know, it's not strange for me. And I've just never allowed, um, I've never allowed that to impact me in any kind of way. Um, and the older I get is the more, um, I'm kind of like, well, if you don't, if you can't handle it, then I don't know what to tell you. You know, it's, I've just <laughs> accepted it. <laughs> It's just who I am, and there's not really anything I can do about it. I can either love that part of myself or I can, you know, not choose to not like it. But it's all I know. It's it's what I am, and I don't know. I don't know, to, I don't know how to answer it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, this, um, yeah it's really, really great to um, to meet, you know, you through your work um, as part of the Coffee, Rum, Sugar, and Gold, and, a post-colonial paradox, and just thinking about the material uh, sugar, and and how, oh man, like so many lives um, on all these on so many plantations, um, you know, um, went into you know sort of you know producing this particular commodity, which enriched the Western nations, and. Um, and and what that means and and you know your wonderful work in in sort of embodying you know this sugar um you know so we can actually um yeah we can actually see you know in in your work um sort of what it means you know not just in your coffee <laughs> but you know what it means <laughs> to a life yeah yeah and and the way that you you know you um you coat the theology or the principles behind this, you know, colonial uh, antebellum um, system is also like really like wow, um, yeah, real, real deep. I mean, all of you all, you know, all ten of you <laughs> were part of this phenomenal, you know, exhibition. It's like, whew. I want a book. Like, where's the catalog? There's no catalog. There like, is, I, I have believe like, there a little is nice... a catalog coming. I, I heard there sure was a catalog coming. There's... Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not sure when it's coming out, but, yeah, I think that there is a catalog coming. Good, good. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a sugar factory on fire, like right across from the installation that you have, a smaller one. The bigger one is upstairs. But the smaller one, like you're juxtaposed with, um, um, I think well, it's um, work, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this, yeah. So this, um, I think it it actually like the fire really happened, right? Um, that is depicted in in the uh, in the work. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But Fairley is from. Um, she's mixed both um, Dominican and Haitian, and there's, it's the same there as well. That there's a huge history of um, sugar there as well um and also i mean to this day to this present day there are haitians haitians that are um slaves in dr cutting cane now 
Um, so really? it, it resonates for, yeah. <laughs> There's a documentary about it and everything. Um, so that resonates for both of us. And Fairley and I have known each other for quite some time. So, you know, mm-hmm. we've had mm-hmm. conversations about this. But, yeah, I'm, to this day, um, there definitely are patient slaves cutting cane for um, a Dominican uh, plantation, sugar plantation. Wow. Huh. Do you remember the name of the film? Uh, it used to be on Netflix. Um, I would have to Google it. But it came out okay. maybe like five years ago or something like that. I can't remember call the name off the top of my head. But Okay. Yeah. Well if you find it you can you can send it to me and I'll let, let my audience know I'm trying to look it up. But yeah, um wow. Yeah, no, I didn't I wasn't aware of that. Um that um yeah. people are enslaved uh in, in sugarcane fields, um, in the Dominican Republic as we speak. Mm-mm. No, I didn't know that. Wow. Wow. Well, we have to we have to do something, you know. <laughs> Get them out of there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for joining us. You know, to spend some of your precious time where you could be creating to talk about your work and um, and this exhibition and and your son. And uh, does anything, any any of your work bring you back to the Bay Area um, anytime in the near future? I wish it did. <laughs> I really like the Bay a lot. <laughs> um, I was just like, hey, do you guys want me to come talk again? Let me know. Um, I love the Bay. So, I mean, any chance that I have to come back to the Bay, I'll, you know, be there in a heartbeat. Um, I wish, <laughs> I wish I could. Um, for now, the next, few things I have are in Miami and um and LA. So Oh Los Angeles that's trying close. To make... what what's coming. Yeah. Um I have uh I'm in the show at um Lace, which is actually they're displaying the um the soap cans that we talked about pure. Um yes. uh-huh. and then I have my, my first um solo show with my gallery um in September. Oh. So I'm working mm. on that now. Oh, cool. So the L.A. one, where is it at again? Um, Lace. Um, and then my solo show is at um, Cloud Man, which is my gallery there in Culver City. Okay. Well, that's not far either. Oh, okay. And that's in September. And the one in L.A. Yep. is, um, when is the one in L.A. opening? Um, Lace is the 29th of this month. Oh, and then, oh um, very soon. Yeah, it's coming up. <laughs> um, and then Cloud and Man is September 6th. Okay. Oh, good. Oh, that's super. Well, you know, we're in the same state. That's not far. Okay. And then the <laughs> one in Miami, though, that's that's far. When is Miami happening? <laughs> um, it, It's opening July 18th. It's at um, PAM, the Perez Museum. And it's up for a year, actually. Nice. Wow. That's great. Is that new work, or is that something that you already... This is new work. Um, Actually, LeVar, who's in the show uh, um, Uh at Moet, he's in it also. Yeah, he's in it as well. We've shown shown together Mm -hmm. a few times, so... Mm -hmm. 
Oh, that's great. Yeah, he said that you all, all of you all know each other. And I'm like, that's nice. Yeah, it's a small, <laughs> it's a small world. We all know each other. It's like we overlap all the time. So it's kind of nice, though, to get mm-hmm. to work with friends. Yeah, yeah, and you all are like, you know, you're a village within yourselves, so that's nice. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to the catalog, and we can have you all, you know, like when, when the exhibit closes in August, you know, we can we can still reflect, you know, through looking at the images and the and the essays and things like that. That will be really super. Well, cool. Well, I look forward to seeing you. I'm going to try to get to one of these exhibits, um, particularly the one that's going to be up for, well, the one up for a year. Hmm. Maybe I find myself on the East Coast and I could just travel to <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and and all of this will be listed on your website or is listed on your website? It'll be on the gallery's website. It's uh, cloudandman.com. I have a hard time keeping up my website because <laughs> I just don't have time. Um, but uh, they'll usually have everything updated and we send out emails and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Well, maybe you can add me to to the list for for your um your various um shows. That'd be super. We'll do definitely. Thank you for having me. Cool. Oh, it's been really a wonderful conversation. You have a good rest of the day, and yeah, I look forward to meeting you. <laughs> you too. Thank you. All right. Sure. You take care. Bye. Some blessings. Bye. So I wanted to um, let folks know about um, the, um, let's see, uh, there's the Women of Color Film Festival that's coming up. I think it's this weekend. I'm going to look for the details. Oh, yeah, the fifth annual Queer Women of Color Film Festival. And uh, it starts June 14th, 630, and it continues through June 17th. Um, uh, at Brava uh, in San Francisco. So again, this annual Queer Woman of Color Film Festival uh, starts on, it's, uh, it's really short, um, three days, June 14th through June 17th. And it actually um, it sort of parallels the, um, the film festival, the San Francisco um, Black Film Festival, which is kicking off tomorrow, I believe, or Friday. But there is a um, a press conference and a panel discussion and um, film screening of two short films today. So you can go to their website and you can find out all about that. And it's a free event today. And then um, I picked up the uh, 22nd Annual National Queer Arts Festival program, and it already started. <laughs> it started in May, and uh, it continues through uh, through June, and uh, June 29th is the 27th San Francisco Dyke March. 11 a.m. is the rally, and 5 p.m. is the march. That looks really good. Calling all self-identified dykes to march and be visible. And then uh, the San Francisco Pride, the 49th annual San Francisco Pride Parade, is um, also June 29th, noon to 6. And, um, oh, no, 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 it's not. Uh, is it? No, I think it's the 30th. Yeah, from 11 to 6. I don't know why we have the 29th on there. No, yes, yeah, Sunday. Sunday um, is usually there, not on the same day. So um, Sunday at 10.30 is the parade at Civic Center in San Francisco. 
And the uh, theme is Generations of Resistance um, at the 2019 San Francisco Pride Celebration with two days of community engagement and entertainment. So it's two days, but the, but the parade is on the Sunday. So 29th through 30th, but the parade is on the Sunday. And, um, wow, there's just so much happening, um, so many wonderful events. want to let folks know about um, uh, Sprint which is on June 20th and 24th, 20th and 21st. Uh, Nana uh, uh, DeFar uh, and um, uh, and QCC present this wonderful um, event. And uh, she has um, presented before, and so she's coming back with this work, a multidisciplinary performance, blending film, theater, poetry, song, and dance to tell uh, the coming-of-age story of a queer black child of Ghanaian immigrants discovering herself and her dignity in white America. And you can visit SprintMovement.com to find out more about that. And um, and you can also go online, I'm sure, to find out about the entire uh, 22nd Annual National Queer Arts Festival by going to QCC the numeral two dot org, QCC the numeral two dot org, and there are a lot of venues, quite a few, and I don't think any of them are in the East Bay. I think they're all, all San Francisco venues. Yes, they are. Oh no 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 no, that's not true. Uh, East Side Arts Alliance, the Flight Deck, um, Humanist Hall. Oakland Asian Cultural Center, uh, Culture Collective, uh, Q, uh, QUL Culture Collective, and um, yeah, so yeah, there there are quite a few, and there's one in Berkeley, Urban Adama, Urban Adama, um, in in Berkeley on Harrison. So yeah, so wanted to let you give your heads up on that. Looks looks like some really great programming. So thank you so much for joining us for another edition of Wanda's Picks. Um, there's a lot of things happening um, for Juneteenth um, on the weekends. Juneteenth is next Wednesday. And uh, it's also the National Day of Drumming and Healing. Uh, and so interna- nationally, there are going to be a lot of gatherings sort of looking at the 400th um, anniversary of Africans from Angola um, landing here and being enslaved uh, at Fort Comfort, Virginia, landing here as enslaved persons. And so um, that is going to, they're going to have events all over the country. And in the Bay Area, we're going to be at George Gordon Gallery, 406 14th Street in Oakland, um, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., and we're going to be looking at the film Sankofa and having a moderated discussion and just sort of talking about um, legacy of, of, of people of African descent in this, this hemisphere and um, and the residual effects of enslavement um, and how we have prospered and um Despite um, you know this this um, this legacy of trauma. Alrighty, I'm rambling. <laughs> Thank you again. Join us on Friday, 
8 to 10 p.m. 8 to 10 a.m. for another edition of Wanda Six.